chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. And it reads, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. Now the word servant here means bond slave. A bond slave was one who who chose to remain a slave of his master for life. He was totally submitted to his master. Paul says here that he is totally sold out to God. Then he makes the claim of an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we see here that he was a sold out apostle of Jesus Christ, not by his choice or doing, but according to the fate of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. All right, look at verse two. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but had in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. To Titus, my son, after the common fate, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, Paul had a hope of being just like Jesus. And this is our blessed hope. We shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye. We shall be cloaked with our eternal body, and we shall forever be with the Lord. And this hope was promised by God in eternity past, before the world began. This tells us that the blueprint of what has happened till now, and of what will happen was already completed before Genesis 1 and 1 in the mind of God. And then Paul addresses Titus. He calls him his son after the common fate. Now, the common fate is the word of God, which is shared by all believers. Verse 9, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. Now, the island of Crete was one of the largest islands in the Mediterranean Sea, and it consisted of many cities. There were Christians who came to Christ through the preaching of Paul and Titus in every city of that island. So Paul gives instructions to Titus. Paul had left Titus behind with the authority to organize local churches with elders as their spiritual leaders. All right, look at verse 6. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucris, but a lover of hospitality a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now here Paul gives the requirements for the men who are to hold this office. Number one, he must be blameless. In other words, his life must be above reproach. It means that any accusation that is brought against him must not be found to be true. 
All right. Number two, he must be the husband of one wife. This is a very controversial statement here. You know, there, there are some who take the belief that an, an elder cannot remarry. Then there are those who take the belief that Paul is saying that the elder must be the husband of one wife at a time. I personally believe the latter one, because in Paul's day, it was common for a man to have more than one wife at a time. Someone may say, I, I don't agree with you, Dr. Tisno. Well, you are entitled to that. But let's look at these words very carefully. It says the husband of one wife. If an elder marries and his wife becomes unfaithful, she commits adultery. Let's use this for an example. And he chooses to divorce her on that ground. He can, according to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32. And if he remarry, guess what? He is still the husband of one wife. Now, how is that? Because he is only married to one woman. <laughs> the first woman is no longer his wife. He only has one wife and he is a husband. So therefore, he is the husband of one wife. The elder must be the husband of one wife at a time. All right, number three, his children must be faithful, not accused of right or unruly. In other words, an elder must have obedient children. All right. Number four, a bishop or elder, they are synonymous terms, which means they are the one in one in, in the same. All right. A elder must not or cannot be self-willed. He cannot be a man who only seek to please himself. A man who seek to please himself is not fit to be an elder over God's people. Number five, not soon angry. An elder must be one who has self-control over his anger. He cannot be one who is hot-headed. All right, number six, not given to wine. Number seven, no striker. Listen, a man who hits his wife is not fit. He is not fit to be an elder. Number eight, not given to filthy lucres. A man who has a greed for money is not fit to be an elder. All right, number nine, he must be a lover of hospitality. He must be hospitable. He must love people. All right, number 10, a lover of good men. Number 11, he must be sober. He must know how to lead God's people. He must make right decisions. Number 12, he must be just. In other words, he must be a fair man. He cannot play favorites. He must be fair across the board. Number 13, he must be holy. He must be a man with high morals. He must be a man of standards. Hallelujah. Number 14, he must be temperate. In other words, he must be self-controlled. He must be self-disciplined. And number 15, he must hold fast the faithful word as he had been taught. He must keep the faith. He must keep the apostles doctrine, the word of God. An elder must never, he must never ever detour from God's word. And he must keep the word of God for two reasons. Number one, to be able to teach the word of God. And number two, and to be able to confute or refute the heretics. An elder must be skilled in the word. He must be Bible trained. Therefore, an elder should thoroughly know the word of God and must also be a doer of God's word. Verse number 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially the day of the circumcision. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake, 
Now, here we have a picture of the false teachers who were troubling the Cretans, saints, coming against the apostles' doctrine. Paul says that these false teachers are undisciplined, vain talkers, which means are em empty chatterers, saying many words, but yet saying nothing. And their mouths must be stopped. These false teachers had overthrew families, bringing families into their falsehood by teaching them things that was against the word of God. And they did it for money. Paul says they must be stopped. Listen, falsehood cannot compete. It can't win against a skilled elder or elders in the word of God. All right, look at verse 12. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Now, here Paul gives Titus instructions to be more strict than usual with these new converts in Crete because of their background, so that they would be sound in the faith. Sound in the word of God. The unsaved Cretans were rude and cruel by nature, and they were also lazy gluttons. This is the type of environment the new converts has just come out of. And Paul wanted to make sure that they did not return to their old ways. So he tells Titus to be extra hard on them in order to keep them focused, unmovable, sound in the faith. I right, look at verse 14. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Now, here we see Paul instructing Titus to, here to do two things. Number one, to keep the Cretan Christians from Jewish fables. And number two, to keep them from the commandments of men which turn from the truth. Now, Jesus rebuked the religious rulers for adding traditions to God's law. And that is what Paul is saying here. Titus was to keep the people of God in Crete from the traditions of religious leaders. All right, look at verse 15. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 17 makes it plain. It reads, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Every believer has the nature of God and the nature of God is pure. On the other hand, those who are not saved are dead in trespasses and in sin. They are earthly-minded and cannot comprehend the spiritual things of God. They profess to know God with their mouths, but they deny Him with their actions. A tree is known by the fruit it bears. Action speaks louder than words, and your actions are the evidence of what you believe.